Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, one more Sunday in this series, and I've had some pretty good feedback over this uh, over this uh, study. Uh, kind of one of the recurring themes is, "Wow, you've really thrown us in the deep end of the pool here, Tim." <laughs> Which uh, you know, if we don't do that every once in a while, if we don't really dig in, if we don't really kind of stretch ourselves some, then. We end up just kind of coming in and, and uh, having a few moments together, but we don't get stretched and, and we don't get uh, provoked. And it's good to be provoked every now and then to say, is that what it says? You know, and, and dig into the scripture and to look with one another and to study with one another. And so I hope you've enjoyed this. And I know I met with a, a ladies' small group. They asked me to come in and answer some questions. They were all great questions, questions that I know probably a lot of the small groups have. And they were wonderful questions, so don't hesitate to uh, text me, talk to me, or whatever as we journey through being surprised by hope. And today we're going to talk about surprised by salvation, what that means. Uh, any of you guys part of Amazon Prime? You, you know what I'm saying? Well, see, yeah, see I, I, I found out they had free shipping on books and stuff like that. And so me, I was like, I, I read so much, I was like, oh, this is the most awesome thing in the world. I can get my books the next day. I can do all of this. But I went a year and didn't even know they had movies. I didn't know. I mean, nobody told me. I didn't know. I was, you know, it was the books, the books, the books. And it, it, there are things in life like this and even things that God does for us that have so many implications and have so many. Uh, it's such a broader picture. How many of you guys have a leather man? You know what I'm talking about? You got one of those? You know what I'm talking about? It's almost worthless, right? But any, it, I mean, still, the first time you got one of these, right, you really needed something. You thought, I'm, you know, I got it for that. This is what I got it for because I'm always needing something, you know. The, the twi- but, you know, if you don't realize there are other things in this, right? You just, and if I can get these out, you can tell how much I use this. Uh, this one was give, given to me. It's a cheap one. But there's all kind of things. <laughs> no, they're not in the room. Uh, <laughs> person's from New York, if you're watching. Thank you. Uh, but... <laughs> But there's, all, there's, there's a whole lot more involved in it, right? And if you go through life your whole entire time only using the one part or appreciating this one part of what has been given to you, it's just kind of a waste of the gift, isn't it? I mean, it's not really taking advantage of what the giver gave you. Like they meant to bless you with so much more than what you first see when you open the gift. And uh, today, again, we're going to be talking about salvation. You've heard me say it over and over again in this series, and that is that if you were taught the, the basis of Christianity, the whole, if you wanted to just, just melt it down into one thing, was get saved and then go to heaven. That was it. Then you were sold a bill of goods because that is just, I mean, that's great. Don't get me wrong, Okay. And we've talked about what heaven is and all of that on here in this series. But that is just like opening this and doing that and holding it the entire time, not realizing what the gift has for you, for us. 
And so we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to look at salvation. And on the back of your handout, there's a fill-in that I use every week. And um, most of us, well, I say most of us, the generation I came up in as far as being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, it was just mostly that. It was that Jesus forgave me of my sins, which I needed. I needed. Do you ever need that? And um, you know, of which there were plenty to forgive. And I was very grateful of that. And then it was like, uh, okay, you're going to heaven. I'm like, why? How about here? How about now? So, you know, my thing was, okay, I could just go tell everybody else about get saved, go to heaven. That was it. That was pretty much, and for a number of years, it was this kind of boring in between. You know what I'm saying? That you're like, if I'm waiting for heaven to come, and I've got to, and God for some reason has left me here on this earth. Then there's this boring in between. Why am I here? What, what's the purpose of this? And uh, we need to unpack exactly what the word salvation means. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be over in Ephesians, the second chapter, the 8th through the 10th verse. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this. So, Father, thank you for your word today. Uh, Father, just breathe life on it for us. Uh, help me in my weakness. Uh, open up that leatherman for us today, God. Um, Reveal to all of us, again, what you have in mind for us. That there is hope now in salvation that didn't stop at that moment of decision. But, Lord, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. So open it up. Breathe life on your word. And, Holy Spirit, you you are the presence of God. You're here. You're here in worship as you touched our hearts. And I ask Lord, that you would flood our hearts with understanding, grab us today in some very real way that indeed we are changed somehow, some way before we leave this gathering this morning. So come and ignite a fire somehow in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this book is written, most, a lot of people think it was written by Paul. Some think it wasn't written by Paul, even though the first line has Paul. Just give you a little update on the book. We're going to read a little bit. Uh, Some of the earlier manuscripts don't have Paul's name in it. Some of the later ones do, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, The book is awesome. It is written to a group of mostly Gentile Christians. That's people like most of us in here. Uh, I know we have a a few Jewish people in our church and who are Christians, but most of us are Gentiles. That is, we're not of the Jewish faith and we're not of the Jewish race. And and so this church in Ephesus, this group in Ephesus, was made up of people like you and me. Uh, the town of Ephesus had somewhat of an intracoastal waterway. It had sandy beaches. It had an ocean. It, it uh, you know, it was a, maybe 250,000 people. It had a rich history of Alexander the Great, and it also had a rich history. There is a, even a legend that the Amazons came up and started this city a long time ago. Just a legend. So it's, it's quite a city, and it's got quite a population of people from all over. And into that, into that first generation of churches uh, comes uh, Christ and, and comes the evangelist to share Jesus. And sure enough, just like it had in every other city, uh, churches popped up and people began to believe in Christ. And so these letters went out to help pastor the churches, to help teach them just uh, who Christ was and what he expects and, and dealing with problems a lot of times in the city. So in Ephesians 2, in the 8th, 8th and ninth verse, let's read this. 
We'll put it up on the screens. And here it is. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Your first feeling is this. is Salvation is God's gift of rescue. God's gift of rescue. And that is one of the definitions of, uh, of salvation. As a matter of fact, it's one that N.T. Wright uses over and over again. And that is that the saving of God is the rescuing of God of you. And, uh, you know, there's no rescue you and then throw you back in. It's like, oh, you have taken me. You have gotten me. You know, you'd free me from my sins. You have uh, taken me to yourself. Oh, look at you. No, I don't want you. You throw you back in. There's none of that. He comes and he rescues you. And, and the writer of Ephesians says, we can't brag about that as far as us having any part in that. That that was all the work of Christ. That he came and he rescued you, me. It was his choice to do that. Not my choice. I've got no power in that as far as his work to rescue me. You get that? So if it's Paul or whoever the writer is, he's just saying, listen, Ephesian church, just get this straight. You got nothing to brag about when it comes to your rescue. You can't say, oh, I was such a great person. God looked at me and said, hey, I want him on my team, you know. It wasn't like that. It's that God so loved the world that he rescues it, that he comes to rescue it. It was entirely his initiation, his power, his love, his choice. And there's no way for any of us to go around and brag about that we had some part in that. And so the writer of Ephesians gets this out of the way up front so that there is a certain amount of humility and also gratefulness in that. How about for you? I mean, to me, in worship, like what we were doing, I am always revisited with that moment of that it was God's choice to come and rescue me. Every time. I mean, every time we sing worship, I'm right back. I'm right back to that moment again where I'm like... God, I don't know why you did this except your love. It was all your choice. I had nothing to do with this. But you chose that. You chose to, to rescue me. And it was your power. And there's no amount of working I can do to get to you. Do you get this? And, I mean, it, for many of us, as friends of mine have said, they're like, well, I'm a good person. Why, why isn't that enough? And the thing is, you know, you don't have enough. Here's the way I wrote it in my notes when I was studying. We just don't have it in us. We just don't have it in us. I mean, even if you want to be perfect and you want to be godly and you think God will accept that, we just don't have it in us to be that good. There's a great story over in Acts 10, and one of my favorite stories in the Scripture, and that is Peter, you know, who was the consummate uh, Jewish guy, and, you know, he failed Jesus, and then Jesus tells him, on you, I'm going to build my church. And, and Peter's praying, and he's had a big meal. He's up on top of, uh, the, you know, the, the house. He's dreaming. He has a dream about clean, unclean animals. At the same time, there's a Roman soldier uh, who is very respected among his peers, some miles away, who is a good man. The Bible says that, that he did good deeds, he gave to the poor, and that everybody respected him. That's a good church member. 
<laughs> you know, he, he gave, he was hospitable, and everybody respected him. But yet he knew there was something not quite right. Now, God did hear him. God did take note of him. God did. He takes note of you, friend, if you're not there yet. He knows you're doing good or you're trying to be a good person. He knows it. He sees when you do good things for people. He does. He takes note of it. I told a friend of mine that not too long ago. But it's just not good enough. Because as our scripture tells us, there's, it was God's work, not ours, that did this. God's work. And so Peter has a dream and God loves Cornelius so much and he loves Peter so much that he's going to use him in this. And Cornelius' friends are sent over to get Peter and Peter goes back and the minute they hear of Jesus Christ, the whole family and all of his friends and his soldier friends and all the Holy Spirit presence comes on them and it's a great story. You've ever read it? <laughs> you ever read this? It's like, oh man. You know, especially the book of Acts. I mean, they call it Acts, activities of the Holy Spirit, but it's the activities of the Holy Spirit through his early church, if you, if you read it, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, Peter is preaching this awesome sermon, and, and God doesn't care because right in the middle of it, he just douses the whole, Cornelius' whole family and friends. And, and, I mean, the Holy Spirit is there, and they're like, wow, you know, and Peter goes, I guess God likes them, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And so he goes and tells his friends, he's like, you know, we can't keep the Gentiles from the church anymore. Look what God has done to a Roman soldier. Does anybody remember what a Roman soldier, what Peter did to a Roman soldier? I mean, look what God does. Who can orchestrate this stuff? I mean, and then Peter ends up sharing the gospel with a Roman leader, soldier. You see, that is just, that's God's work. Even Cornelius, the good man that he is, even Peter, the apostle that he was, who still had a little thing about Gentiles, Paul had to correct him one time. Because when the Jewish believers showed up, Peter wanted to hang out with them. And he saw the prejudice, and he saw the bias, and Paul called his hand on it. It's in here. It's right in here. I'm telling you, if you read it, you'll see it. It's in there. And Paul said, Peter, I notice what you're doing. Every time, you know, the Jewish believers, you go, oh, I like hanging out with them. But the Gentiles, you're like, ah, Gentiles, Ugh, who wants to hang out with them? And Paul says, come on now, we're one in Christ. Male, female, Gentile, Greek, Jew, sight in, right? One in Christ. That is God's work. Nobody can do that but God. The rescuing of the people of this earth the rescuing of the earth, the rescuing of you is all of God's work. It's not any of anything that we have to do with, that, with this. And the rescue is, of course, from sin, that thing inside of us that wants to bring us down and, and constantly harass us and all. But it's also rescue to what God has for us. I thought, you ever seen, what, what's the name of the Kevin Costner movie with the Coast Guard uh, parajumper thing, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about, where he jumps out the helicopter and saves everybody. And, and when I read N.T. Wright's definition of uh, guardian or something like that, what was it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every time uh, I read Wright's definition as being rescued, I kept seeing this. Like, you know, if you're in the middle of an ocean and you have no way to swim out, no way to get out, and the rescuer comes to you, the only response you have is to stick your hand out. This is something interesting, too. When we're worshiping, I just want you to know this. Do you know what the difference in a signal from being picked up is from this to this? 
This is just, hey, how you doing? This is, get me, please. I mean, if you're stuck in the ocean, it's like, help. But if you go, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's okay. See you guys later. You just do one hand, hey. But you put two out, it's like, come get me. So just remember that in worship, okay? Just remember that. Oh, you know, here I am. But every time I read that about Jesus, that salvation was our rescue. Here's, we, we say, I don't have enough faith. I don't have this. But it's, you know, when, when the parajumper and when the, the uh, helicopter shows up, you may not understand aerodynamics. You may not know how much training that guy has. You may not even understand where they come, came from. You may not understand the whole complexity of what it is in the rescuer who is doing what he does. But you know what you believe? You trust what you do see. You trust what you know in that moment. Now, see, that is being rescued. Some of you are just struggling with, I don't understand it enough. Well, do you just sit in the ocean and go, I wonder how that thing's flying? You know, don't pick me up yet. Hold it. Uh, I'm not getting on there. I am not getting on there until I understand exactly how this helicopter works. Can you swim, dude, with the fins? I want to know. Really, I want to know if that hoist is going to hold me when it comes down. No, you know what you do? You trust in what you see. What you understand of the rescue in the rescuer in the moment is what you reach out for. And that is enough. That is enough. You don't understand how the whole helicopter runs. You don't understand how the rescuer gets down and what the training and all of this and how much it costs. And you know a little bit, though. You know that guy up there has been trained. You know that this is what they live for and they will die for. And so you reach out your hands. Now, there are some of you you're just waiting and waiting to figure it all out. But what do you believe right now about the rescuer? Right now in this moment, as he's here. Because salvation is rescue. It's when God comes to rescue us. I wrote it this way. Faith, along with my cartoon of a helicopter. I wish I could show you this. Uh, you know, there's a guy going, help. And uh, faith equals trusting what you do know about the rescuer. What, not what you don't know. It's what you do know about him. What you do know about him right now. So salvation, salvation is about God's gift of rescue to you. And then over in Ephesians 3.10, let's read this. Or 2.10, excuse me. For we are God's handiwork. Okay, remember the works a while ago? He said it was all God's work. Okay, now the writer's going to flip it. Here we go. You could do no work for your salvation, for your rescue. But now here comes the word work on the other side of this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? You see this? I'm telling you who writes this stuff. It's brilliant. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I want you to notice one thing before we get to the works part, and that is look how the pronouns have changed. All of a sudden, you know, it was you, yourselves, one, and now what is it? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us, not you. And that is salvation. This is your feeling. is not just about you. Now, this challenges our American individualism. But the Jewish believers of this day knew full well that this was a community thing. 
When they read the scriptures, they read them in community. They didn't each one take it and say, this is my verse. And I get it. Don't I read it like that too at times. But they came to understand it in community. And he also understood that once the rescue comes, it's not just about you. It's about we, about us. It's about more than you. Salvation doesn't end with you. The rescue begins with you, and now you begin with the rescuer to do what we're going to see in the last fill-in in just a moment, and that is to do the works he's called you to. But our individualism, here, here's, I know I'm going to step on some toes, but this is okay. Here's the way that we read the scriptures. We, mostly Americans, it's not like this all over the world. But uh, we'll take a scripture, and we'll hear somebody say, this scripture means this, and we'll go, well, that's not what it says to me. You know what we should say? Let's get together and see what it says. You get it? Well, that's not what God said to me. Hey, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. The beautiful community of God, it, it begins with God's rescue of you, and then it moves quickly in the next verse to we, to us, to God wants to work through us. And we have challenges in America with this, huge challenges. We don't even have to see each any each. You know, one another anymore. I'm not going to beat up on technology, but I might. But, I, you know, it's, I love technology. I mean, I can stay on it all the time. I love writing. I love debating. I love exchanges and all. But you know what? You do that long enough, you don't know how to look somebody in the eye and even talk to them. You don't even know how to ask a question. You don't know how to work with one another and try to say, what is God saying? Let's wrestle with this. Let's look at this. And, and if you do that long enough, then you be, not only do you get to see what God is saying collectively, but you get to know the person. They get to know you. They become your brother, your sister in Christ, and you do this thing together, and the body of Christ is built up, which is exactly what all these epistles, these books in the New Testament were written about. Matter of fact, the big deal in Ephesus was unity. And they were complimented on that in the book of Revelation. This church had unity. And it was because of the way they lived life together. Salvation is not just about you. We even say this. How many times I've preached this. If I was the only one that needed saving, God would die for me. That's irrelevant. Yeah, that may be true, but it's not true. (laughs) For God so loved the world. You get this? I mean, it, we like that because we're so individualistic. And we look around this room. There are all kinds of people in this room. You're beautiful. I can't even sing in worship because I love hearing you guys sing. You know, I just want to turn around and watch you and listen to you. It's because when the community of God is together, we get an expression of salvation we do not get by ourselves. And we're not meant to stay by ourselves. We don't do well alone. We can't be healthy alone. We'll never understand God the way that we are meant to alone. I don't have it in me. But together, together, we can do this thing. I just want to tell you as your pastor, you know, I do a lot of work asking people questions all the time. I got great friends who know a whole lot more than me. And I am always asking them, have I got this right? Have I got this right? Have I got this right? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? I ask some of you all the time, you know, what do you see? What's God saying? You know, because I know there's a community aspect to this that is powerful. 
but it's a challenge. But right here in this scripture, we get the flip from you. It was not you. You couldn't do the work. You can't brag about it. To now, when it comes to the works, and he turns it around, it's we. It's us. Look, we're going to do this thing together, the writer says to the Ephesian church. You guys have got to do this together. And you know what? They did. They did because they were known for their unity. It worked out. So, you know... um, Nah, I'm not going to read that. Um, I want to read a, a quote to you. This is uh, from a history book of Christianity. Uh, this was about the first couple of generations of the Christian church. And uh, this is from a guy named E.R. Dodds, and it was written back in 65. But I'm going to put this up. A Christian congregation was from the first a community in a much fuller sense than any corresponding group. Its members were bound together not only by common rights, but by a common way of life. Love of one's neighbor is not an exclusively Christian virtue. But in this period, Christians appear to have practiced it much more effectively than any other group. The church provided the essentials of social security, but even more important, I suspect that these material benefits was the sense of belonging which the Christian community could give. You get this? Uh, The same story I told you about with Cornelius and Peter, and uh, forgive me if you've heard this story before, but this is a great one. Uh, I'm at this meeting with some surfer friends of mine, right? Hawaii, this is about eight months ago or so, something like this. And uh, me and maybe one other Christian in the group, and it gets rowdy, I'm going to tell you. You know, I got some very rowdy friends, and, uh, but I love them. I love them, and I get invited to their stuff, and I go because I love them. I absolutely love them. Did a paddle out, which is a memorial for a 42-year-old surfer friend of mine who died last week. And so I get invited to this, and right in the middle of the drunken stupor, uh, one of my friends looks over at me, and he, draw, he takes the, the table spread, and he goes, Tim, here's what I don't get out of the they're telling all these stories, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he goes, here I am, I'm a good person, and here is being a Christian, I, I do everything I can for people, but here's a guy who's a rapist, murderer, and he goes, I accept Jesus, he goes across this line, and then he goes back across the line, and he starts raping and killing again, but because he went across that line one time, he's still good, why am I not good? How would you answer that? Great question. Great question. And I told him that. And, uh, and then I said, hey, there was a guy. He says, you mean God doesn't see my good works? And I told him the story of Cornelius. And I said, no, man, there was, there was this guy, Cornelius, who was a good man like you. A good man. A really good man. He gave to the poor. His friends loved him. The people who worked with him, his fellow soldiers, his family, they all loved him. They loved to be with him. He was a good man. And my friend jumps, jumps up from the table and goes, I'm in. I'm in. And I said, wait, story's not over yet. Wait a minute. I said, there's another guy on the other edge of town over here who is praying, right? And God speaks to him like he speaks to him. And he says, get this guy over here to tell me because I think there's something missing. I said, that guy was Peter. And he came over to the good guy to tell him what he was missing. I'm Peter and I'm here to tell you what you're missing. That was to me worth my whole life right in that moment in time. 
I didn't, you know, the thing is, this guy asked me the same question 30 years ago in Puerto Rico. But you know what? It's still in his mind. It's still in his heart. Salvation is not just about us. It's about, I mean, ourselves. It's about us. It's about those that aren't even a part of it yet. Do you see this? It's about all of us working together and that fellowship, that community. Every time I see I watched the Grammys, and I don't know if you watched it, but man, when Chance and Kirk Franklin came out, Chance the Rapper and Kirk Franklin came out, I was in tears. I was weeping, worshiping like a baby. You know, I was like, oh, man. And I was watching that crowd, and I was like, this is the kingdom of God. This is us. This is what we should be. We are people of hope and joy. Together, we have an expression that there's not one single person playing a guitar in a room by himself could ever bring like those thousands in that room with everybody worshiping. It's not just about me, me, me. There's a lot more on the line here than that. And there's a lot more joy in the journey than that. It doesn't end with get saved, go to heaven. That's just the beginning. Ephesians 2.10, let's... oh. I got to tell you this. This came through uh, Lauren in her study. She preached in the 830 service this message. And uh, she found this research that uh, Nick Stewart out of Oxford Brooks University. And it says, people who sing in a choir had a stronger sense of being part of a meaningful group. And there is a suggestion that there is something unique about the synchronicity of moving and breathing with other people. There is something special. That's why in our worship, you feel something. When we do it together, there is something very special. You feel it in a U2 concert. You feel it with your favorite music. And you go, this guy probably doesn't even know Jesus, but I'm being touched. Why? Because you're part of something. The church should be the biggest expression and the most healthy expression of that on the face of the planet. I want it right here in this church. I want it. I want it where Myrtle Beach looks around and goes, what in the world is going on inside of that building on Sunday mornings? And in those small groups. Okay, last one. Ephesians 2.10. By the way, uh, we do have a choir. He was talking about a choir. You are the choir. You know, that's, you know, that is on purpose. That's not just, that's on purpose. That is a part of my ministry philosophy is that I want to hear you sing. I mean, the band is up here to play for you. They are up here to play for you. And that when you sing, you're the choir. And they want to play well. They want to play loud enough, but not to stifle your voices out. So you can sing and we can hear one another because that is power in that. Okay, your last one, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Here it is, flips it on his head, right? Couldn't do enough good works to gain your salvation. It was all Jesus. But now he flips it in the 10th verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your last feeling is salvation is about purpose. It is about purpose. Purpose. I got wound up here this morning. Got to have something left for the next one here. Uh, You know. This has nothing to do with get saved and wait for heaven. That's just not in there. I mean, it's not there. It's not there. It's just not there. You know, it has to do with purpose. We are God's handiwork. We are God, God's artistry. We are God's work of art. I mean, I had you guys uh, maybe a month ago look at each other and say, man, you're a real piece of work. <laughs> you know? and that's so true. You, you are God's artistry. 
you know, it was his work that does this. And um, handiwork, you know, that is his creation created. And I love when it says to do good works because it, it really means like alive to be alive. Don't you like that? You are alive to be alive, to do these works. I mean, he, he didn't just save you. I'm done. Now the boring in between. Wait for heaven. No, he made you alive to be alive. You get that? That's your purpose, to be alive. And the good works, uh, it's, it's a positive quality when the, when the Greek that's used here. It means helpful and pleasant. Generous is one of the words that, that is used for this. Kind, useful activities. I mean, think about what you can do. Deeds or a job to do. In other words, God has given us works. Part, things to do. And he didn't just come up with them. How long have they been around? What did he say? Anybody want to remind me of that scripture? What did he say? From when? How long? Come on, church. Prepared when? In advance. Now, for God to say in advance, how far back was it? <laughs> I mean, he's been around forever, right? Ever, 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 ever. So all these works and this job has been prepared for you, for me, before we were ever born. Now, that's not get saved, go to heaven. That's thank you, God, for rescuing me. All right, now show me what you call me to. Good things, pleasant things, hopeful things, good deeds, ways to show kindness, to be generous, to be a rescuer, to be a rescuer because I was rescued. How can I do that? Help me, God. Help me. There's purpose in salvation. Not just put in right standing, but put in right standing with God so you can get to the work that you've been called to. Whether you're a business person, it means for you to do your work just like God would do kingdom work. To you be a picture of what that means. To bless people, to employ people, to treat them well and to, and to you know, produce a good product. If you're a student, it means treating your fellow students well. The, the ones next door to you in the dorm and reaching out to them and, and showing what it means to be a good student and a kind and generous person. Uh, if you're a pastor, it means learning what it means to treat people well. To do the work that I can do to try to, to teach what's right and, and to, be, you know, to be able to be corrected and, and get back in the right place that I need to be in and I mean, we've all got this right where you are. You're where you should be most likely. The question is, what are you doing with what you have where you are? That is it. That's the works God has called you to. And that is our pleasure. And it is a part of salvation. It comes with it. It gives us deep, abiding hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Right now, Lord, what I pray is that anyone here who has kind of stood on the line before committing, they're kind of still in the water looking up at the helicopter and going, I don't understand how this thing works. But, Lord, they understand there's a helicopter and there is a rescuer. They only have to trust what they know right now. And if you know that that is, that he is the rescuer, whether you understand how all of it works or not, but he has come to rescue you. I want you to just let me know. Just I need to know these things. God already does his work in you. 
you raising your hand doesn't make that happen, but I want to know if he's doing that in you. Would you just lift your hand and let me say, Tim, that's me. I'm reaching up for the rescuer this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He is there. He's over your life right at this moment. Right now. Come, Lord. Father, I pray those that raised their hand and those that didn't but are looking up at you and going, can I trust you? That they will allow you to rescue them, Lord, right now. Begin their journey with you. Lord, we embrace, God, we embrace the works. We know we can't earn our salvation. We can't do anything. But, Lord, we know once you've poured that blessed hope out in us of Christ, our rescuer, and you have put us in right standing now, you have called us to do the good works that you had prepared in advance for us, Lord, together as a group, together as families, together as friends. And if you are like, okay, Lord, I see it. I see it. This involves so much more. And you just want to stand to say to God, okay, lead me, God. Lead me. Lead me into a fuller understanding of salvation. And would you stand with me? Come, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.